welcome uh, back to How to Get It Poppin'. Um, we have myself, uh, we have Kalante here, and Nathan. Uh, everybody's going to introduce themselves, but I just want to make sure that everyone knows their names. Again, here, this is Tech God coming here at you uh, live from Getting It Poppin'. This is Kalante coming here live from Getting It Poppin'. This is Nathan, a.k.a. Nate, live from here to get it, get it popping. All right, all right. So uh, we had a really good episode, our first one. Kind of uh -huh. broke into a lot of different things, had a lot of good mm -hmm. topics. Mm -hmm. And and now, like, um, let's kind of go deeper, right? Uh -huh. So for people who don't understand kind of what we're doing, we are providing a lot of insight in the tech industry, uh, talking about a lot of different topics that either you are interested in or you want to hear about more. And uh, we're elaborating on it and putting some style to it. So as you can see, we all have our own styles uh, and we're just trying to show you how to get it popping in this field. So um, the first thing that we we always talk about, and I, I want to just start it off with, with this, right? Um, what is DevOps? Mm -hmm. So to help explain what it is to our listeners, mm -hmm. you know, Kalante, Nate, help, help everyone understand what DevOps is. So DevOps is pretty interesting, right? Um, it's really like helping application development teams like automate their software release processes and making sure you're setting up their infrastructure in, in place in the cloud, just to make sure everything is working effectively, making sure they're, they're logging like any issues and getting the right notifications, um, making sure everything is configured, making sure that their networking services are set in place and also making sure you secure the infrastructure as well okay and you can automate that process with a lot of different tools um like from scripting rather using like powershell bash or even terraform where you're actually setting up the infrastructure in okay. an automated fashion okay yeah absolutely and to add on to that from a higher level um with the development cycle it entails of planning development integration testing deployment in operation. So all of that is included in the development life cycle and DevOps engineers help maintain that life cycle. Okay. And if I were to ask you, um, like why do companies need this? Like, so why do companies need like DevOps engineers? What would be the, the response to that? That's a good question. So with the different stages that I just mentioned, companies need this in order for teams to quickly react to any dispensations that cust that customers have with their application experience, or if any new features need to be released, they need teams to get that features to the market as soon as possible. So with this process, it allows teams to respond quickly and efficiently in that manner. Okay, okay. And um, if I were to ask you, uh, or both of you, mm -hmm. like, what are some skill sets um, if I'm a, uh, if I want to be a DevOps engineer, like what are some skill sets do I need to actually, mm -hmm. you know, participate in this and at at a high level? Like, what would you say? Um, I would say, um, like if you have a programming background, it'd be absolutely perfect. Um, knowing how to write scripts, okay, you're going to use that a lot to automate, like deployments. And in addition to that, um, like Terraform, that'd be a good skill to know. Um, networking, understanding how IPs work how the, the internet works in general, and um, also understanding like security like processes as well, like how to set up security groups, access control lists, how to scan devices or, you know, different resources for vulnerabilities. 
Um, what else? Um, cloud as well. You know how to leverage like AWS or Azure services to you know spin up the infrastructure and stuff. Okay, and and now you know we're kind of you brought up security, yeah. and we always have conversations candidly as Definitely. we speak about uh, the integration between security and development, also known as DevSecOps. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say that you know the mirror between the two. Um, it's kind of morphing into one, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in my opinion, you know, next two to three years, um, a developer would have to have not only the experience of a developer, but also the ability to um, take on more of a security minded approach to how they develop and how they create infrastructure. Um, and likewise, you're, you know, security professional um, over the course of, you know, two to three years mm-hmm. uh, must not only have the ability to assess and provide security controls from a documentation perspective, but must be able to um, correspond those controls into something that's mm-hmm. codifiable, certain like infrastructure as code right. or policies that you implement mm-hmm. or integrations in between pipelines mm-hmm. to help the dev ops engineers orchestrate that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, any comments on that? Uh, agreements? No, I agree with everything. Um, like security is definitely a huge part in not just development, but operations in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear everyday companies getting hacked left and right, and you, you know, the term hack is such a it's such a buzz term. You know, when people hear hack, they panic. But you know, you want to get into the you know nitty gritty of things. What is being hacked? You know, you, you have social hacking, you have more so technical hacking where a piece of your code is, you know, vulnerable, you know, and attackers can pinpoint that piece of that, that area mm-hmm. and attack it. So, um, you know, it's it's just like security is very prevalent in in society and uh, we we need that and we don't I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. I, I agree. And and one thing that we could probably highlight on quickly is you know, the build time versus runtime analysis. Mm-hmm. So uh, specifically when you're talking about containers, container security, uh, and th- for those of you who are, are interested, containers are uh, a, a modern way of deploying an application mm-hmm. where uh, you just have basically the, the source code that you need and it sits on top of other layers of um, resources that actually support the rest of what you're trying to deploy. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, We'll, we'll touch on this later on, but I just wanted to make sure I, I put that caveat for everyone to kind of understand. Yeah. But um, as I kind of dive deeper into container security and, and making sure that we understand, like, okay, well, yeah. what areas do I need to Im- implement security in? That build time when you're, you know, creating an image or looking to deploy a container, doing that static analysis. So basically scanning the, the container, mm-hmm. making sure that there's no vulnerabilities, right. no secrets stored in yeah. the image, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And if vulnerabilities are detected, uh, preventing those vulnerabilities uh associated with that container from being added to a production environment mm-hmm. with either GitHub Actions right. or some additional uh, mm-hmm. configuration. Right. And then when you have runtime analysis as your containers are running, having a control in place to identify if any malware is installed, mm-hmm. if there's any uh, malicious external connections to right. malicious IP addresses, mm-hmm. if you have some malicious processes spinning up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how would the DevOps team kind of 
correlate and work with the security team to kind of bridge that gap? Like, what mm-hmm. are, are some issues that you guys ran into in the past? Or, like, can can you speak on some of those things? Um, I would say, like, how, you know, engineers, with DevOps engineers specifically, work with, like, security teams. Um, it would just be, like, from a pipeline standpoint as well. Like, so when you're scanning these, you know, these builds going into the pipeline, um, you will work with the security teams to put in like certain plugins, right? Like mm-hmm. GitHub Actions, like you stated, and you would scan the the containers or the software for vulnerabilities, and that's how you would you know get the notifications like what like severity levels of like the vulnerabilities are, right? So that would help you determine like what issues are potentially going to occur if you put this in production. Okay. And I just want to touch on, uh, you touched on a lot of external threats, um, but I also want to touch on some internal threats as well and how a security team has helped helped to mitigate these internal uh, threats. Um, We have identity access management um, that helps uh, pretty much prevent the wrong users or services slash applications from accessing another application or another service. so what what is identity access uh, identity um, access management? So that's essentially having a set of users or a set of um, roles and policies attached to, to specific users and services to gain access to other services and applications. And that has been a game changer in my opinion that is uh, that's associated with the cloud. that's in every cloud platform that you work with. There's always a identity access management. Um, and what this does is it helps prevent a lot of um, internal threats, pretty much having the wrong user gain access to, to you know, certain applications that they're not supposed to get uh, get access to. Um, and other, and even services as well. So say for instance, a, a microservice has been, uh, I guess, hacked, right? Um, that service doesn't have permission to access or communicate with this other application due to you know what was put in place in the identity access management. So now you're only you're containing that threat. So it's not affecting other uh, applications that are pretty much running in your organization. So that's the importance of having a identity access management. I just wanted to point that out. No, it's a good thing that you pointed out. And mm-hmm. and more importantly, you talked about microservices, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So earlier we were having a conversation mm-hmm. as we looked at application architectures, right? Yeah. And how majority of, let's say, uh, some of your favorite enterprises still have monolithic applications mm-hmm. as opposed to microservice, microservices. Can, can one of you help articulate uh, from your perspective what the difference is between a monolithic application and a microservice definitely so a monolithic application is pretty much where you have your entire application on like one server so you got like uh let's say for instance using like java right and this java application is not only having your api endpoint it's also serving your front end all in one server but what a microservice does is basically you can have like a a front end application maybe stored in like a s3 bucket for instance right and you can have these different api endpoints all plugged in to this front end application right so um it's basically like you're using different services but they're all not like they're decoupled right they're not all tied to one server 
right? So if one goes down, it doesn't affect the entire application because you can always just add another like microservice back up into the, the application. And, and I think that's very important. You know, as we talk about um, specifically having a secure application architecture to begin yeah. with right. and understanding the difference between the two and, and building to scale mm -hmm. and what's more suitable for supporting modern security controls, mm -hmm. right? So if you design with security in mind from the beginning, right. you're able to take and take advantage of a lot of these additional security controls and workflows that mm -hmm. you may not have access to in a traditional application architecture. Right. I think that's really important. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, having the idea of kind of DevOps, right, mm -hmm. and a, a major enterprise, mm -hmm. uh, we, we touched on this a little earlier. Um, some of the like pain points mm -hmm. that large-scale organizations may go through with having DevOps in their organization, um, I, I talked about at a high level, multiple and, mm -hmm. and you know non-unique or non-centralized uh, flavors mm -hmm. of applications that have similar functions mm -hmm. and as a result creating deltas in the in the organization for how well um, jobs are able to be completed mm -hmm. or the efficiency you're able to do something in mm -hmm. uh, can you talk about maybe how that can cause an issue in the organization operationally definitely like I think an issue that I saw personally um, is how, like, the software and Dev DevOps teams are pretty much separated, right? Okay. Um, so sometimes you got to put in a ticket request for to get certain resources up or any configuration change, and sometimes that can take a while, okay. and it can affect your sprint when you're trying to develop an application. Um, and I think a good approach to maybe like improve that efficiency would to like would be, would be to have like um like a DevOps engineer on the software team, you know, working with them directly. So whenever they need something, it's getting done like immediately. Well not exactly immediately, but you know, when in a, a nice like process. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's a major issue I saw like on like one of my contracts before. So definitely. I think Nate, you were about to say something? Yeah, um, I wanted to touch on more uh, just microservice. I had this example that was more relatable to people that are non-techie, mm -hmm. um, just to understand the importance of having microservices. Um, so say, for instance, you know, you have Black Friday. Who doesn't love Black Friday? Deals, deals, <laughs> deals, yeah. right? Um, you have a whole bunch of people shopping online, right? So you have this conglomerate uh walmart right mm -hmm. they have multiple web servers right they have multiple web servers and of course with these web servers they have say they have a central database um and they're housing their database on of course they have a database server that is hosting the database mm -hmm. um and these web servers are hosting their web applications now you have a ton of people on it and say for instance majority of the web servers crash right now it's Say Walmart wasn't incorporating microservices in, in their um in their system, their their organiz organization itself, then pretty much their database crashes as well. Because say for instance, the database and their web server and their um, web application is on one server, so you have their web application and their database on one server, and everything crashes. That means that one server is down. That means whatever data or states that have been saved in that database is also gone. So, and that's 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 bad. That's really bad. That takes a longer, 
um, that, that that takes a longer time for Walmart to get back up to speed and, you know, serve their customer base. But say, for instance, their database is on a different server than their web application and, you know, the web application goes down, then whatever data is being, that whatever data is in the database, you know, that is also maintained and it is pretty much quicker for them to get back up to speed and, you know, uh, tend to their, to the customer base. So, I mean, I say all of that to say, um, decoupling your services helps, um, helps get you back up to speed and serve your customer base if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think that's a good idea. And it's a good point that you made. Um, so, you know, making sure that you have resiliency, disaster recovery, mm-hmm. uh, you, these microservices help you isolate functions that make up the, the main uh, I would say purpose mm-hmm. that your application serves yeah. uh, for that particular reason mm-hmm. and ensuring again that you have a secure application architecture that mm-hmm. can take advantage of some of these built in right. benefits mm-hmm. of such architecture. Mm-hmm. And and as we're talking about architecture, as we talked about, you know, d- DevOps yeah. um, in an enterprise, we talked about um, making sure that A, you have a DevOps engineer working with the software team. Right. Uh, B, you have the right application architecture associated with whatever you're trying to build. And uh, and C, how do we provide something uh, seamless to these organizations that will allow them to, uh, you know, continuously build um, applications at a, a moment's notice within a pipeline infrastructure, mm-hmm. but also simplify um, what they're trying to build in a way that's blind to them, mm-hmm. but something that they can manage and um, generate a Delta reporting on, which mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, DevOps as a service. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because now you don't have, uh, you know, a plethora of different applications that that overlay each other mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And, and serve the same purpose uh, but now you have a, a centralized pipeline that utilizes specific tools to carry out the functions of the business mm. so you you know you may not have bitbucket GitLab and github you may mm-hmm. just have GitLab. You may not have, you know, Confluence, Jupyter Notes, yeah. and everything you just may have Confluence or just Jira itself mm-hmm. and creating stories that feed into GitLab. Exactly. And your ITSM, um, which is a, a ticketing system, uh, may just be service now. Mm-hmm. And you are using Terraform to, mm-hmm. you know, push and right. create infrastructure. So these things are very important. I think organizations need to kind of take, uh, you know, notice to how things are changing in the tech culture right now. Mm-hmm. Because your average organization, in my opinion, is three to five years behind relative technology that can improve their operational workflow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a problem because some of the, the, the leaders in organizations that are calling shots of how things are going mm-hmm. are out of touch mm-hmm. with how things are actually going and what's best practice, industry best practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your average you know, manager isn't sitting on the board of SZA, isn't part of DevOps uh, communities mm-hmm. uh, in their area. They're going to eight to five and mm-hmm. they're coming home. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to have uh, a collective and to either outsource this service mm-hmm. or have some type of process internally mm-hmm. to fuel that constant change and, and be able to respond to it. Right. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Honestly, I definitely was like, you know, when I guess they, 
came up with, uh, well, when I say they, I mean probably a group of engineers uh, came up with, you know, the term CICD, you know, continuous integration, continuous deployment. And what that does is it it's pretty much like a, a, a hamster wheel in a sense. So whenever there's um, some an issue with, you know, customer experience or an uh, improvement in the application, you know, you have to continuously integrate the new features and continuously push out those new changes to the customers. Um, and it just keeps going and it just keeps improving, keeps improving. That's why you see a lot of these applications, um, uh, one off the top of my head right now that has really great user experience, I would say um, Shopify, really. Shopify hmm. user interface is great. And it's, you know, top-notch because they kept on um, getting feedback from customers and implementing those feedback back into the application. So continuously integrating the feedback that they received and deploying or pushing those changes mm -hmm. to customers and and keep keep on moving that process. Um, I think that has been really revolutionary in how um, a lot of users interact with a lot of applications these days because, of course, there's always going to be room for improvement, but now it's more so um, less complaints in a sense or uh, less acceptance because some applications would, you know, there would be some issues with some applications and users would accept that because they have some, some things to do. But now it's more so, okay, hey, I have no quarrel with this application because they've received my feedback and improved on it. Uh, so I really like the um, process of continuous integration and continuous deployment. Okay. I, I like the response. Okay. So no, I, I like what you said. Right. Um, I, I definitely understand some of the comments that you made mm -hmm. and um, I want to move to a different track. Okay. Okay. So we, we talked about uh, DevOps as a service, mm -hmm. um, how we can present that to different companies. Um, and I guess the benefit of, of such, mm -hmm. we talked about, uh, Nate, uh, Nate just spoke about the CICD pipeline right. and how that has uh, allowed different organizations to provide top-notch service mm -hmm. and really uh, update their applications based on customer feedback. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, let, let's get into more of the the business side. I think okay. some of a lot of our listeners are interested in in kind of what's in it for them as they're looking to obtain a job in the tech field. So mm -hmm. we kind of got techie at the beginning, oh, yeah. and that's that's rightfully so. That's absolutely, what we do, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Uh, we we have to give you guys this raw tech stuff. I mean, we have to. Yeah. But um, <laughs> now let's talk about the business side. I, I want to talk about um, you know w, the W two side mm -hmm. and and, t and speak about. Uh, the climate that we're in now, um, and in in comparison to what it was maybe ten years ago. Oh, yeah, so I'll, I'll set the stage, right? So, uh, ten years ago, um, you're nervous to go on your job interview mm -hmm. um, because there's not a lot of jobs, and mm -hmm. you just want to land anything, mm -hmm. and you may not be as skilled, and you only have the information that you got from your college mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. that you learned from you know right. someone that you may know. Mm -hmm. um, and the the employer itself is very intimidating. Um, they give you your offer, you don't question it, mm -hmm. um, and you accept it and you move forward. But that's not quite what we're seeing right now, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing more. Uh, basically, the interview roles may be switching. Oh, yeah. It's it's more a less looking more like mm -hmm. um, the person that's applying for the job is interviewing 
the employer. Absolutely. And and they're looking to figure out, is this something that they want to do? And mm -hmm. now the employer is trying to figure out how do we not only uh, land great talent to keep our organization afloat, but how do we keep the talent that we have? Mm -hmm. So um, I know we already, you know, we've, we've all experienced this and mm -hmm. I want to kind of speak to um, what's your take on that? I want to get a quick, a shot. I wish your take on on the current climate, and what um, words of advice do you have to our listeners that may be going through this process? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I would say the current climate is there's a shortage mm -hmm. on tech talent. Okay, right? Yeah. Companies cannot hire fast enough. Right? I understand. <laughs> like it's it's crazy right now. Yeah. So I feel like it's so much opportunity for people that take the time to develop their skills to find work right so companies are finding difficult to keep talent or to hire more talent because maybe the pay rate is low maybe the work is not interesting maybe they have um like a, a managerial style where they're micromanaging people and <laughs> that will cause people to not even be interested in the company anymore right hmm. so the the game has changed completely like it's the engineers are really calling the shots right now, honestly. That's how I see it. Okay. Yeah. And I definitely want to add to that. Um, right now, companies aren't in the position to demand certain things from good engineers. And I say that and get, with good intentions. Um, <laughs> you trying to start something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say that because, you know, right now, post-COVID, right, companies yeah. are requiring engineers to come back in the office. Mm -hmm. But... The good engineers, I mean, the, the ones that are really talented, um, we know you can do your work at home, you know, especially yeah. if you're working in the cloud. Yeah. So what's the need for me to go back in the office? So now you start looking for new talent that are willing to go back in the office, you know, and trying to replace these talented engineers by having a hard time doing so. So you have no choice but to accommodate, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. pretty much say, okay, we can do hybrid, you know, that's the accommodation. <laughs> we can do hybrid. Um, but I mean, a lot of times people are like, well, let's just stick to fully remote because I'm pretty much being, I'm actually more productive at home versus being in the office. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, top talents and engineers are calling the shots, um, you know, versus you just coming right off the gate, you know, graduating uh, college. I'm, I was going to share a really interesting experience uh, that I had. Uh, me starting off um, when I graduated, I didn't even bargain for my first, uh, I guess, real job, you know, in the tech space. Um, I didn't really bargain. Uh, they they offered me the amount. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, it was it was a fat <laughs> number, but in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is yearly, actually. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you spread that in the span of, you know, two weeks, every two weeks, it's not that much, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like people forget to bargain or, I guess, counter with another number when they receive the first offer mm -hmm. and that's one thing i tell a lot of people you, even if the number is good uh, you know counter counter because you're gonna counter you know okay so the vice is counter make yeah. sure you you counter your advice is make sure that you 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 can call the shots mm -hmm. and did i capture that right absolutely okay and I, I agree with both right counter call the shots and i also think um figure out why they need you there. 
and really understand like what the company does and the position that you're doing, like what value are you adding? Mm -hmm. And I think those are some really important um, items for you looking for a job to, to assess, evaluate and better understand. Because I think, not think, but I know that right now we're in a, a, a shift in which things are going even more digital than what they were five to 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's a increase in talent needed to support this shift, right? right? Whether you're migrating to the cloud, whether you're developing new applications to modernize workflows, mm-hmm. these things are, are happening right now. Mm-hmm. And it, it just doesn't you know, create itself with the snap of a finger. You mm-hmm. need a team surrounded to do that. Right. Yeah. So those are all good, good points. And I, I want to talk about, you know, as we keep going, you know, we, we talked about as you're getting into, mm-hmm. you know, the tech field and you're interviewing, making sure you call the shots, making sure you have the skill sets that you need, mm-hmm. make sure you understand what's your number that you need to live with as it relates to um, how much do you need to live the life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. Not that you need to live, that you want to live exactly. and have that mindset right. to really, you know, own what you're saying. And have that energy. I feel like an unseen science is the ability for you to exude the energy that you align with. And meaning that if you feel as if you're very talented and you can provide great value to an organization, then that's the energy that you wear when you're going into the interview. And it bleeds through the interview. It bleeds through your the answers that you make mm-hmm. or that you uh, project to the questions that are being asked to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, people need to better understand and align themselves with it appropriately. I'm not exactly. telling you to be overly cocky, mm-hmm. but if it calls for you to be overly cocky, to even start having confidence about yourself, mm-hmm. start there. You know, Kanye said, said a really interesting uh, line that actually kind of resonates with me. You know, he says a lot of things, but this one <laughs> this one quote actually kind of resonates with me. There's no such thing as being overly cocky. No such thing at all. Honestly, if you're confident and you're you know that hey, I can do this mm-hmm. and it shows, then you know, the right set of you know, right pair of eyes yeah. is gonna see that and he's they're gonna hire you in a heartbeat. So in my opinion, I don't think there's any such thing as overly cocky. I I, I agree. I, I yeah. think that there's no such thing as that. But I think there is a such thing as reading the room Mm -hmm. and understanding um, how to project yourself to maintain a certain level of professionalism and camaraderie amongst your peers. Absolutely. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel as if, you know, if you are really in tune with yourself, you know when you turn it up, it's like you, uh, you're you in a very quiet room, right. everybody like chilling and you come in a room talking very loudly, right. you know, cursing a lot and everybody right. like not even on that vibe. They're like, okay, well, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, right. we're, not even, we're not even on that right. on that time right now. Exactly. So I feel like... More so subtle, more so being yeah. subtle, you yeah. know, with, with what you know, mm-hmm. not being very disrespectful with, you know, yeah. with That's what I'm saying. And I'd say yeah. that at any point that Kanye was is... Yeah. That everyone is who they are yeah. in general, right? Oh, yeah. But I feel as if, you know, read the room and exactly. emotional intelligence. Yeah, I know you're yeah, going to speak absolutely. on that. They always come absolutely. back to that. Like, that's a, that was a game changer for me, emotional okay. intelligence. Talk about that. Um, just being able to, like, understand, like, the feelings and the things that people, like, feel, right? Yeah. Um, and just really taking the time to be present and to listen to understand and not to just respond, you know? Hmm. And that's a good one. Just having like 
awareness of your own self-limited beliefs, the things that prevent you from taking that next step in your life. Yeah. I think all those are like a major like factor and like growing as a, as a human, like oftentimes we don't really take the time to really understand like why we do the things that we do. You yeah. don't go through certain things, but like you have to be able to be receptive to how others feel. Cause mm-hmm. you never know what they're going through either. No, definitely. Uh, that that really, you know, resonates with me. Like listening to understand as opposed to just listening to respond. Right. Because that's something you you use, you know, when you're in an interview. But that's something you use in relationships. You know, just Absolutely. you know, forging relationship with you know somebody else. Is mm-hmm. you have to understand the other person, you know, for you to give an appropriate response versus just you know, saying things just to say things. That's that's a very combative nature. That's that's how I view it. And um I see a lot of people having a hard time working on that. Okay. Um and they take that into the interview and they bosh the interview and they say, Hey, why? It's like, okay, you you are very knowledgeable, but you're not a people person. Have you heard that before? You're not a people person. <laughs> I haven't heard that before directed towards me, but I've seen it. Yeah, in in different work and working environments, right. and and be, growing up, I, I hung around a lot of different types of people. Mm-hmm. Whether it was you know, people that I played sports with, I was in the theater class. I you know, I'm hanging out with people that um, are you know, I was in pre AP in high school and in, and in college. I yeah. did you know other extracurricular activities outside of school. So I had a, a lot of different groups of people that I hung out with and mm-hmm. it, it allowed me to understand the scene and vibes of people with specific types of um, mindsets on life. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm comfortable talking with people from different uh, diasporas, yeah. uh, backgrounds, mm-hmm. and and uh, mindsets on what they think life is mm-hmm. without passing a pre- you know, proposed judgment, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I allow them to be whoever they are in their space. Yeah. And I, I participate in that interaction in my own space. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of people in our tech field um, isolate themselves mm-hmm. and feel more comfortable in an isolated environment and maybe uh, apprehensive Mm-hmm. As it relates to exposing who they really are, mm-hmm. um, because they maybe resent being judged right. and you know not being quote unquote cool. Because to be very blunt and honest, it wasn't like as cool as it is now to be in tech, like fifteen right. twenty. Like right. it wasn't it wasn't cool yeah. to be like in tech like it is now. Yeah, you know why, right? I was gonna I mean like they see you making all this money now it's cool the, you know like so, once you see them numbers it changed that whole to me so like, the money is one thing that's <laughs> that's one point but another yeah. point is all this cool stuff that tech is generating 3D crypto all that stuff it's like these are buzzwords and when you hear somebody in tech they're like associating you with these mm-hmm. buzzwords right? right but back then you know you had the box computer and like you know tech wasn't really interesting <laughs> you, know, you, you had a really you know yeah. you weren't really doing anything mm-hmm. um the keyboard was old everything was just like uninteresting but now innovation everything that's being you know developed in the world is being pushed by tech and when you hear when someone hear that you're in tech they associate you with all these innovative ideas and they're like oh wow how can i get in tech how can i be a part of these change this movement mm-hmm. that just 
you know, but the money is also. Like, <laughs> I, I think, you know, if I, if I can put a tag yeah. to it, and I may be incorrect in, in yeah. what I'm about to say, but I feel as if the rise of iPhones yeah, and how um, the technology was presented yeah. created a, a space for technology to thrive mm-hmm. and in such a way that it hasn't been introduced to the general public in the past. Right. I feel like more uh, uh, interest was put on presentation, mm-hmm. um, how things were communicated to the general audience and features that would simplify everyday life mm-hmm. as, as opposed to, you know, what was done in the past. So it could be, you know, you had your MP3 player at first right. and now you had, you had a CD player and now everything's on your phone. Mm-hmm. You have email, you know, you can text message, you can record videos. Like all these things were quote unquote um, functions of separate devices that have been incorporated into one and the design was meant to come in different colors and support different lifestyles, whether you um, are a male, female, or di- you know, identify as X, mm-hmm. whatever you have going on at the at that point in time, yeah. um, the iPhone was there to to help support you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of birthed um, a new genre of ways to um, include different types of people into the tech revolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I definitely agree. Um, you know, with just the iPhone itself and the seamless technology. Yes. You know, it's just <clears throat> give you know, everybody just started rushing into tech because they've started off as consumers. You know, that's I actually mm-hmm. essentially I started off as a consumer as well. Um, then I slowly not slowly, but I transitioned into, you know, more so of a producer, you know, I wanted to be one of those that created this type of technology. But I agree with you, like the iPhone itself was a it's a very easy to use piece of technology that drew drew a lot of people into tech and wanted to know more about technology. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I think Nate, you, you mentioned something earlier that kind of resonated with me, and I wanted to bring this up uh, to both of you and like have a general conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And it was around um, the importance or the role that your partner plays and how well you are in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, and then maybe this is you know for the ladies that are looking to uh, attract a man in tech, mm-hmm. um, what would your ideal partner look like in, in a supporting um, a, a young man in, in tech? Like what would your what would the ideal partner look like for you guys? I think the biggest thing would come down to having patience. Hmm. Like, it's going to take, like, where we're in this field, it takes a lot of studying and upkeep. Like, we got to be in a constant state of learning, right? So having someone that's just really, like, just patient with you, supportive when it comes to your studies, um, that also understands, like, the big picture of what you're trying to create. Because, like, I feel like for me personally, Everything I'm doing is so much bigger than me. Like, I'm not doing it just for me. I'm doing this for my family, for the ones that come after me, my legacy. So she has to be able to support that. She has to add value. Like, it's just so much more than um, just having a good time, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I agree. Patience is definitely something that I look for and just the ability to listen. Um... You can tell what somebody is uninterested or 
tuned out, you know, from the topic. And that's kind of, um, that kind of makes you not want to continue telling them more because you know they're not interested. Mm -hmm. So just the ability to listen and, you know, of course, being patient is definitely a key value that I look for. No, I agree. And I think for me, um, in addition to listening and, and being patient, um, I would say driving me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you see my fire going out, put another stone in there and make sure it keep burning. Uh, you, know, yeah. uh, you know, think of new and creative ways to not only support what's going on, but to do what you are looking to do mm-hmm. to bolster, you know, what I'm seeing. Exactly. Because I feel like, you know, if you got two fires going on, um, when they come together, it's a flame. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, having your own mindset mm-hmm. and and not and and being able to communicate yeah um definitely helps in mm-hmm. in a relationship mm-hmm. and helps yeah. bolster that support right. cuz mm-hmm. i feel like you know we haven't been trained properly as a as a culture right. to communicate effectively amongst each other i agree mm-hmm. and i feel as if in the times of uh disagreement Mm-hmm. or non-alignment, um, we really have to practice on, on how well we're able to communicate effectively mm-hmm. so that we can, A, you know, drive towards a solution, yeah, and B, uh, make sure that we're not causing or creating new problems as we're attempting to solve one. Right. <laughs> and yeah, if you don't communicate right, you create new problems. Exactly. And, you know, you might say something to the person that they don't, want to hear mm-hmm. or it could be offending uh to them right. and you're saying it out of anger mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. out of you know thinking about them in that way yeah and it just doesn't help right. the situation yeah i think another thing too like i feel like in a relationship we both need to be emotionally intelligent huh yeah it's that's so it's so important and then like to attract a man of our caliber right you have to add value. You can't be in a like a, just a, a state of you just want to receive. You got to give as well because we're always giving. You know, so it comes back to adding value. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think you know yeah. um, one thing that I, I, I want to put out there is the stigma that we have in society mm-hmm. as it relates to what a man should provide and what a woman should provide right. and what needs to be provided to mm-hmm. sustain a relationship, you know? Exactly. And I think um, the those items, those, uh, you know, foundational building blocks of a relationship are consistent. And um, I, they don't necessarily, in my mind, have a gender role associated with them. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something that needs to be established. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously... You want to live comfortably, so you need right. to have some type of financial support, mm-hmm. um, and you want to have some stability. So you know you, you're going to need some type of regiment, mm-hmm. right. and you know you definitely want the person to be uh, you know attractive to you. Mm-hmm. So you know some some of those things need to be there as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. They're not all that you know important, depending on who you ask. <laughs> right. But uh, the, you know that's what you yeah. know initially gets you to the table. Um, but I mean, you know, I feel as if uh, as men, you know, we definitely need to make sure that that we're leading in the right path, uh, and we have ourselves together. Because Absolutely. sometimes you can get into a situation to where 
you don't have time for a relationship. Right. <laughs> you know, you're still true. trying to figure out who you are. Exactly. And you're entertaining a relationship that maybe is not right for right now, mm-hmm. but it could be, you know, the right time, maybe a year or two from now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're rushing it by trying to, mm-hmm. you know, fix yourself and also fix someone else. Yeah. That's yeah. why I think I feel like people need to take their time before just hopping in a relationship. Make sure you're good before yeah. you can help others, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. In that relationship, you know, if you truly are a leader, then you want to make sure that you're good because if you don't have your your ducks in a row, then pretty much you're going to be an not a not so good leader, you know. And yeah. that could you know, instead of it pushing the relationship or nurturing the relationship could just ruin the you know, tear the relationship apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely agree with you again, like making sure your your stuff is in order. You know, I didn't want to like make a say, you know. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I mean, but I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Like we're trying to make sure that we can communicate a message because I, I don't think that um, our audience may get this insight all mm-hmm. the time. Right. Exactly. From people in the tech field that uh, represent what we represent and, and have some honest, you know, feedback on what um, we're looking for mm-hmm. at that point in time. And I feel like it can help people um, either Absolutely. establish who they are themselves mm-hmm. or, you know, draw a line or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. re, uh, reappear some things that, that need to be fixed within mm-hmm. uh, what they're doing. So um, exactly, I think that's think that's good. So I, I do want to bring up a random topic. You know, every you know podcast we have, we're gonna bring up a random topic mm-hmm. to okay. talk about. Yeah. And um, I think we touched on this before, but mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at an article from the Scientific American, yeah. um, there are talks about uh, DNA being the ultimate uh, data storage solution. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So um, in this article, um, there are conversations about um, taking. Petabytes of data. Yeah. Um, with, and those of you who are not familiar with petabytes, it's, I'll just say it's a large, very large amount of data. Um, and, and saving it in uh, a golf ball size mm-hmm. of DNA in cool storage. Mm-hmm. So being able to, to write uh, data into DNA. So yeah. at a high level, um, this article kind of breaks down uh, the comparison between uh, taking data that we have now and converting into binary or like zero and ones mm-hmm. and doing the same thing and to converting into language that uh, your uh, our DNA uh, understands information mm-hmm. and being able to utilize that system to store vast amounts of data. And uh, they're able to, 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 to do that now, um, but in terms of reading the data off of DNA, that's the process that they're trying to perfect. Um, at a high level, like how do you think this... Is a is a game changer to uh, how we store data if they're able to get it to a point to where we can quickly read data as mm-hmm. similar to they doing like a solid state right. drive. I feel like they save so much more money because you're storing it into DNA rather than a physical like hard drive. That's like that's a lot of money <laughs> in storage. <laughs> like yeah. data data consumption is a lot, and I feel like if you put it in this small little piece of DNA, it'll change everything. The price of acquiring like resources would drop substantially. Hmm. No, I agree. Uh, and now I was just thinking from an environment perspective as well. You know, with data storage, storage, um, you know, you hear, "Hey, your data is stored in the cloud," but you know, it's it's essentially stored in a 
data center, pretty much the hardware, right? Mm -hmm. And um, how is that hardware being disposed of? Of course, there are proper ways of disposing hardware. Not everybody follows. Um, and some of these ways of disposing hardware is definitely could be bad for the environment. So that's one way of it benefiting the environment. It, you know, you're storing data in DNA. Come on, man. That's a game changer. It's a game changer. <laughs> it is. It is. No, I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to touch on that. And um, okay, so like this, that's good. I, I like what you mm -hmm. you uh, mentioned there, and um, I, I like what we talked about. So we kind of just touched about uh, quickly how well you know your partner can support you, mm -hmm. um, what we're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. And then we also talked about something random, which is storing. Uh, data into DNA. Right. Um, so just to get a quick highlight, we talked about man DevOps, DevSecOps. We talked about interviewing with a, an employer, mm -hmm. the state of society right now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I definitely want to keep touching into the state of society mm -hmm. and uh, maybe make a, pose a quick question. Mm -hmm. And the question is um, with the current climate of technology as it relates to, let's say, DevSecOps for developing, mm -hmm. if if that is continued and, and matured, do you see the need for managers? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, you want to go? go <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to give an off-the-top-of-my-head answer um, because that – that in itself, that's a it's most of a yes and no. Uh, that that's a similar question to okay, if uh, technology advances to a point where there are robots, do you think there's no need for developers? Well, I mean, who's gonna keep improving these robots? Developers, mm -hmm. right? So, um, to to your question, I think there's gonna be some so, some form of management involved. So managers won't be completely replaced. It's just certain levels that may be replaced, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, like, maybe not having so many managers, but more so, like, having, like, a hierarchy or a decentralized way mm -hmm. of um, oversight right. when it comes to projects. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, I see basically, like, um, you want to get paid for what you do, honestly. Like, <laughs> that's the best way to weed out managers. You only get paid if you complete the work for engineers. So I think that'll be game changer. Okay, that's an interesting thought. So in that model, the incentive for productivity mm -hmm. and to to maintain productivity uh, would be to uh, ensure that payment is only received uh, as work completed is uh, as work is completed. Right. Huh. And I was gonna say um, this notion that engineers aren't good managers. Um, it's really bogus. Like we're good managers. <laughs> uh, we sometimes just don't want to do that because it's been, it's now it's a separate role, you know, management, that's a separate role for managers. Mm -hmm. So as engineers, it's like, okay, you don't want to really do two jobs when you're set as an engineer, but really engineers are good managers. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you're writing thousand lines of code or you're managing various services on the cloud, you're a good manager, you know, in a sense, but you know, now that we've separate that role, you know, we're more so of a one track mind sort of people. So it's like, okay, we don't, we necessarily don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, um, I just wanted to point out like, how did managers can't come to be, you know, mm -hmm. managers pretty much push the project forward. You know, they want to meet the deadline, achieve, mm -hmm. you know, 
pretty much get results. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're doing that, then you know what's the point of a manager? You know, wh- mm-hmm. wh- what do you need a manager? But I mean, I kind of disagree though, because um, people management is a skill as well, and you yeah, need that, that's true. right? Yeah. A lot of engineers don't really have the best people, people skills. skills right? That's true. Yeah. So they don't really know how to manage a, a collective, right? So they also lack sometimes emotional intelligence, right? So I feel like true. it's so important for a manager to have all of these different skills to be able to communicate effectively. And, you know, engineers are very intelligent, right? But they lack those skills. So it's, sometimes it's it can be difficult for them to even manage a group of people like that. That's true. From that perspective, I agree. Um, now, not disputing that, but if you take that aside, what's the point of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel as if if there's a system in place yeah. to ensure that work is completed and tasks are dispersed accordingly, um, then again, because the managers, the people management, like managing mm-hmm. people, right. but there could be areas where there are disputes, right, mm-hmm. in between teams. Right. There, there is friction. And there needs to be like a center point to address those frictions mm-hmm. and recalibrate or realign the team mm-hmm. so that work can continue and progress can be made. Mm-hmm. And I think those times mm-hmm. are are needed because I mean, keep in mind, like, yeah. you know, you look at there's associate DevOps engineers. Mm-hmm. There are meetings that happen yeah. quite frequently to right. go through these sprints, and those who aren't familiar, sprints are. Uh, basically a, a meeting session where you have a period of time where you're completing tasks to uh, complete a, an objective. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, you need someone to probably delegate or mm-hmm. uh, mediate mm-hmm. if there are um, disputes yeah. uh-huh. or a, right. a non-alignment. But then again, there comes a senior engineer Right. Or DevOps engineer that can kind of mm-hmm. you know push that yeah. initiative. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. Yeah, I think um, it should be a requirement for all these engineers to take emotional intelligence training. Okay. I think that can help with setting clearing conversations. Right. So a clearing conversation is we have a dispute or disagreement within twenty four hours. We have to clear it. So a conversation has to be had so that we can resolve the issues. And I think that's very important. So hmm. you can prevent, you know, issues from from lingering for a long duration. I think I think you know what that comment raised another thought in my head yeah. to help with burnout mm-hmm. and um consistent because I, I think you know burnout can cause can be the root cause of like disagreements right. or uh, friction within yeah, the team absolutely and i feel as if a lot of days or holidays are, are there um but we don't have our own holiday we don't that's true like that we true. do a lot of stuff for society and i feel as if we need to collectively be celebrated. Be celebrated. <laughs> That's true. And yeah. designate a day. It's like, hey, you know what? This is a day for us in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. We are taking off. Yeah. And we're going on our computer 
you know, we researching what we wanted to research that day, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or that project that we haven't started on, we're going to sit back and start on it. Exactly. Or that code that we need to review or that, that game we need to uh, develop, we're going to start on it. Mm -hmm. Are you are you talking about from a national standpoint or from a organization standpoint? Like, hey, in, in, this, in this organization, developers need to be, we need to allocate a specific, specific time where we just want to focus on what we want to focus on. I would say national. National? I think it needs to be national be for fine. engineers yeah. like that, you know, or I would say techies mm -hmm. that we need to take off. That's true. Sabbaticals. That's true. <laughs> Sabbatical. Because, I mean, I feel yeah. like we burn ourselves out. I mean, because yeah, even when you go home, you're still looking at YouTube videos. You're that still studying. Oh, yeah. you, you know, it's a constant improvement. So it's a constant thing that you're trying to, you know, improve. Yeah. So I think it's something that we, we need to do. Honestly, Absolutely. I think for the workaholics, they're going to still work during this holiday. <laughs> they so. still are. Yeah, they still are. But, I mean, at least they have yeah. the option, too. Everybody else going to be out of the office. I mean, yeah. think about it. Everybody got a holiday. And holiday only exists, really, if we take it off. That's true. Mm -hmm. So if everyone collectively say, hey, I'm putting in, I'm off here, and that's it, and just take off. Mm -hmm. You can make your own, literally make your own holiday. So, you know, yeah, that's something that, that we need to look at. So all the techies here, let's yeah. get on GitHub, uh, you know, <laughs> create a commit. <laughs> yeah, create a community, you know, put some code up that we're going to be out, and we yeah. out, you know, that's, you can find us there, right? Um, and so I, I want to leave with two two last topics um, mm -hmm. the the first of the two is in relation to representation. Yeah, and how important it how important it is to receive information in such a way um, from someone that you can identify with. Right. Um, I, I know for me, uh, when I look at tech videos across the di uh, across different platforms, I rarely see individuals that uh, share my same likeness. Um, speaking on very technical terms. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I can obtain information and um, understand it from people from different cultures, oh, yeah. uh, it, it it hits different, at least to me, when, when I see someone that shares my likeness interested in the same thing that I'm in. Uh, can, can you guys speak to that? Like, what does it mean for you? Yeah, um, I think what it means for me, I'm seeing someone that, you know, shares my likeness is... Just seeing what's possible. I see someone else that looks like me doing what I aspire to do. Um, that's motivating. Okay. Like just to see like all their accomplishments, those accolades that they have, um, makes me wanna step my game up, right? Yeah. Just seeing they did it, I can do it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. No, really represent representation is definitely inspiring. Um, because you can definitely see yourself through that person. And when you're looking stuff up, you know, you're pretty much asking for help. You're looking stuff up, you're asking for help. And, you know, you're asking for help and you stumble upon somebody that looks like you providing you this information. Mm -hmm. You definitely can see yourself, you know, within that person. And, hey, if that's what you want to aspire to, you know, to be like, you know, to have that same type of knowledge, then maybe, you know, grasping the information would be much easier because that person looks like you, you know. Um, I know a lot of people find it um, find it actually easier to um, grasp information from individuals that look like them. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's definitely important. Representation is is key in our community, and that's something that's lacking. Okay, and and when you say representation, 
is lacking in our community kind of leads into the, the next question that we have. So um, as we create these services, mm-hmm. you know, as we create these different communities, yeah. um, because we have the technology right now that allows us to do so, mm-hmm. um, why do you think we haven't taken more advantage of these developing platforms to create tools that support and aid our communities? Like, what, like, why do you think that, you know, we have GitHub, we have, uh, you know, Terraform, we have cloud, we have, you know, each community can have a data, their own data center that we can manage users in the community, in and out. Mm-hmm. So we can quickly identify people within our community, quickly pull together funds, mm-hmm. you know, automatically without them even seeing it coming out of their mm-hmm. paycheck and having it into a community fund managed in a DAO. Mm-hmm. So, like, why do you think we haven't came together to really, you know, implement these uh you know tools in such a way to really support uh, a great cause for me you know i would say the reason why we you know we as a people haven't taken the initiative is because we're waiting for the next person to do it hmm. so we you know it's just this mindset that we have mm-hmm. of not doing something it's like hey somebody else would do it yeah. you know it's like hey take out the trash now somebody else would do it right <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. i think for us as a community we have to get out of that mindset because that's a poverty mindset mm-hmm. we have to get out of that mindset and actually take the initiative to do that because once you see a couple of people doing it you see the whole group you know mm-hmm. start following um, it just takes a few people to do it yeah i feel like oftentimes we make excuses a lot too excuses and supplemental beliefs so, I, I agree with yeah. that. And I feel like as we take more initiative to do things and more of a, an effort to complete things mm-hmm. that we see need to be fixed, yeah. then we'll see those opportunities kind of grow mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll see people follow in a, in a more uniform fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to close with this thought. As, we, as we've talked on various different topics in tech, uh, you know, administration, uh, relationships, uh, I want to talk about inclusion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'll share an observation mm-hmm. and and I'll make a comment. And then from there, you guys can, can chime in. Uh, one of the observ- observations that I made was that um, usually when people that, that share our likeness are um, identified doing something great, um, it's usually, you know, hey, you know, this person was the first African-American to do this or this community is a black community, or, um, you know, something along those lines. Mm. Um, It it seemed as if it either, like, devalues, in some sense, Mm -hmm. some of the importance Mm -hmm. of a person that shares our likeness completing a task of significance. And sometimes it could feel as if... um, when we're creating these spaces that we only isolated to each other, that it may prevent um, additional inclusion that could provide um, some guidance on maturing that process mm-hmm. or maturing that community that uh, we we would get otherwise. Yeah. Um, am I off the mark? And I know there's a lot of different opinions that mm-hmm. can come into this. So I, I'm not saying my opinion is this but Mm -hmm. this is something that i have observed Mm -hmm. and i'm speaking on it so just be very clear Mm -hmm. um what is what are your thoughts on that that's that's an interesting point because 
you know, throughout time, pretty much the word black is hasn't had any value or hasn't had as much value as opposed to other words, right? Um, you know, even not not just in the tech space, you know, you look at real estate, you know, these are black homeowners, you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, the value of that house just dropped. You feel <laughs> I me? Mean? So it's like, um, when we attach, like you said, certain labels like, hey, the flag, the first African-American to do such and such, um, even though the task has been done, you know, we label it as the first African-American to do such and such. I think it's a... a you know, there's both sides to look at it. You know, it's we we're acknowledging that hey, um, certain things you know we weren't you know able to do. We're actually doing it. Hey, this person is the first person to do that. Um, but in a sense, we don't want to we don't want that to be the entire story. You know, hmm. we also want to point out the actual right. task that has been done. You know, like hey, this accomplishment, you know, it was actually difficult. You know, this it was what was required. Um, that you you know you 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 had to do, um, and you know this person actually did it, and then you know you add on the label as he's an African American, you know. Um, hmm. but, okay, that makes sense. You know, it's all it's two sides of looking at, at it, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily think of it as a positive or negative. It's just more so of a you know opinions thing. Agreed. Yeah, like I would say, um, labels ain't too. It's not really too important, right? Like. I don't feel like I feel like we we label a lot of the actions that we complete with certain specific labels that can hinder us from like working with other communities, right? And we want to not really like isolate ourselves, right? We want to like continue to grow because we don't see other communities doing that, right? <laughs> They're not labeling themselves like such and such did this. This type of person did this. They just did it, you know? Agree. Yeah. And I think the the ultimate label is how well it's done. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you have a very well-architected home, mm-hmm. uh, I think the comment that should be made is this is a well-architected home. Yeah. It, you know, and as you see who the architect is and they look and share your likeness, that makes it even more important because as they share their likeness, you you already resonate with the person that you have identified with completing the task. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is the task itself mm-hmm. and understanding that this task was completed by someone that looks like you. Right. Because I, I rarely hear like the first Caucasian man to do right. this. I don't hear that. The first, I, I don't I don't hear exactly. those sentiments. Mm-hmm. And I, Go ahead. And I was just going to add, it's more so of the headlines. So the headlines should share shed light to the task itself, as opposed to the person doing the task. You know, if that makes sense. I mean, of course, you want to say who actually did it, but um, you know, let's not dwell or let's not place too much importance uh, on the type of person that did it. You know, essentially, let's place importance on what mm-hmm. was actually done. Right. Exactly. And I feel like there are going to be a lot of different opinions on this topic specifically. Mm-hmm. And I'm not opposed to any way uh, and anyone's opinion on this topic because it's subjective. Right. Um, but it's just something that I noticed um, that particularly happens within our culture mm-hmm. that I wanted to get some additional feedback on to better understand um, 
best way moving forward right. to uh, address, you know, what what is being seen and observed. But um, no, I think we've definitely covered a lot of topics from getting into tech to specifically dev DevOps and DevSecOps and uh, relationships, a lot of different things. Um, yeah. I think we've pretty much, uh, you know, provided a real good action plan for our listeners mm -hmm. to better understand some of the things that we do on a daily mm -hmm. and, and also get some insight on some things that they can do to improve uh, their situation mm -hmm. and, you know, some items to think about later at home. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys want to add some additional things or you think we're good? I think we're good. I think we're uh, giving the audience what they want to hear. Um, and we've shown, you know, some of these things that we've discussed, the importance of these things and how this is just continuously growing. Um, you know, the tech industry is not going anywhere. <laughs> it really isn't. It's, it's actually what's driving innovation. So, um, yeah, I think we've said all that we can say. And, you know, we just look forward to hearing what, you know, people have to say about what we've said. So uh, if you have one sentence to someone that's getting into tech that you could say, what would it be? I'll start with you, Kalante. If I had one sentence, it would be um, be committed, be consistent, and also be patient with yourself, but like strive to do more daily, always be in that constant state of learning because throughout our lives we're always going to be learning all right nate what about you i would say be flexible and don't give up um you know you might do one thing in tech that you don't like and give up and just like the entire space itself but yeah don't give up there's so much things to do in tech so if you find something you don't like hop on to the next thing and you know do that but yeah just be flexible and I think I'll leave by saying um, always be great. Always do what's in your heart. Mm -hmm. And always get it popping. Pop. So thank you for tuning in with us today. And please join us next time. All right. Thank you.